Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Psalm 91. It's the last one of our psalm series. And after that, uh, Alana is going to come and preach. Alana is a good friend of mine, a dear sister, who is part of the evening congregation. And uh, she's going to come and bring God's word to us today. Steve said, um, Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the foulest name and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will, shield, will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in the hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord, thank you for this, for this morning. Thank you that we can come together and, um, and read your word. And you may make us, may you open up our hearts and we, we ask that you'll be with Ilana and the message and you know, just give us the, just bless the message that she has for us this morning. In your name. Amen. Thank you. Hi everyone, my name is Ilana, like they said, and I'm a part of CCC, but I'm normally in the evening congregation. Um, but it's very nice to be with you all today, this morning. I am from Wicklow, and I'm also a student in UCD in Dublin. I'm studying engineering, yes, UCD. <laughs> um, and I'm actually, this year, I'm also going to be doing the student internship with CCC. So you might see a bit more of me here. But yeah, here, let's see. I, um, I actually have two brothers. I'm a middle child. I don't know if there's any other middle children here, but... You'll know, Jez knows, right, what that's like. But um, my brothers and I, we love to tease my dad. Great man, but we love to tease him. You see, he has some great stories, which he tells, and they're fantastic, but he loves to tell them and retell them quite often to us, and we get to know them very well. And he has a couple of phrases, which he repeats a lot, and poor man, we really do tease him for that. But interestingly enough, Psalm 91 um, is actually one of my dad's favorite psalms. Uh, he has always described it to us as a kick-ass psalm. Those are the words that he uses. He says, Alana, this is a kick-ass psalm. Okay? And one of his favorite stories that he tells and retells often 
is that in World War I, a commander in the US Army's 91st Infantry Division gave each of his soldiers a card that had Psalm 91 printed on it. And the soldiers would take these cards into battle with them, with the hope of being kept safe. And as we have read the psalm this morning, we can see why, as a soldier, you might want to have this psalm with you if you're heading into battle. It's kick-ass. It talks about all attacks and violence and, most of all, the Lord's protection throughout it all. But as we will see, this psalm doesn't promise protection from danger, but protection in danger. Now, today, we may not find ourselves in a physical battlefield like World War I, but we know from the Bible that we are actually still in a spiritual battlefield. The world, the flesh, and the devil are actually our enemies. They're trying to take us out, trying to destroy us. And the Christian life, as many of you will know, is not easy. It's warfare. The devil wants to take us down, just like the enemy wanted to take out the U.S. Army's 91st Infantry Division. We, too, are under attack. And even if you're not feeling like you're under spiritual attack right now, just give it some time, and, and life might throw two to three things at you that are a bit outside of your control, and they might destabilize you a bit. You know, it could happen. Where will you run to? How will you respond? Where will you find protection? Well, let's look at Psalm 91. So it's not entirely confirmed who wrote this psalm. Some say Moses, others say King David. But in a way, perhaps the fact that it's not attributed to one person in particular just shows us how it's so applicable to us all. We all need protection in this life. We need something to be our refuge. And Psalm 91 tells us that we must make the Most High our refuge. And we can actually split this psalm up into three sections. Uh, the psalmist starts off by telling us about their refuge in verses 1 to 2. Then we learn about our refuge in verses 3 to 13. And finally, we read a pledge of protection from God himself in verses 14 through 16. And throughout this, we see that we actually play a role in this protection as well as God. You know, it's a relationship, a sort of secular motion of us trusting in God and him saving us. It's this tick and tack that we see constantly throughout this psalm. Us doing a little and then God doing a lot. So when we read this first paragraph here, the first two verses, it's, it's like the psalmist is setting up us for the rest of the psalm. They are declaring their own faith to us, giving us a personal testimony, showing us that the Lord really is their refuge. They are establishing their own faith before us, before applying it to us. And the words that we see here are key. We can learn a lot by how the psalmist is addressing God. They use four different names here. Most High, Almighty, the Lord, and my God. Most High and Almighty show us God's size, you know, that he dominates any other threats to his majesty. Lord shows us his sovereignty. And, and the use of my God shows us that there is a personal nature of this relationship here, that the psalmist feels like God is his God, shows us that God is an intimate God, one that we can actually truly know. So we see that the psalmist really is showing us their relationship with God, how they trust in him. And now 
they turn to us as believers and encourage us to do the same. Because the world around us promises us all kinds of refuge. For example, escape. Netflix, scrolling, numbing yourself, perhaps alcohol, just running away from your problems a little bit. Or striving, trying harder in your own strength to do something. You know, wanting to fix it yourself. It can often become exhaustion. Or perhaps other people, relationships, which are great, but sometimes people let us down. And we're not able to trust in them 100% of the time. And, and the common problem with all of these things is, though many of them are, are great, you know, is that they too need protecting. They too are part of this world. They're part of this life. You know, we need a refuge who doesn't need protecting, who's greater and above all of these earthly powers and trials. And, and Psalm 91 tells us, you know, you put your trust in things of this world to be your refuge, and they'll not give you the protection that you want. Or you can trust in the Most High, the Almighty, you know, your God, and know him personally as Lord. He is unchanging and can stabilize you and protect you in ways that nothing else in this world can. See, everyone needs a refuge. The only question is, what refuge will you choose? And is it big enough and powerful enough to protect you in this life? And that leads us into the next part, which is, you know, the psalmist goes from his refuge to talking about our refuge. So the psalmist begins to really explain to us now, really spell it out, that God will save us. All throughout verses 3 to 13, we are given specific details, specific scenarios, just information about how much we can trust in God for protection against the enemy. You know, they show us all the different ways in which we can find protection. Well, firstly, we see versatile and individual protection from God. There is a hugely diverse list of attacks that we're given here, and diverse defenses too, from fowler snares, which are like traps, to pestilences, to terrors of the night, flying arrows and plagues, you know, we're given quite the list. And, and for the writer of the psalm, you know, these would probably have all been very real and, and tangible events in their everyday life. Now, for us, or at least for me, you know, I don't get attacked by arrows that often, but um, that is not to say that this is inapplicable to me. As, as we've already learned, like, our battle is not a spiritual one. In, uh, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 12, it's up on the screen there, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our battle is not a spiritual one. As, as Christians, we are the devil's enemy, and he wants to take us out. And what we see here is that he will attack us in many different ways. Spiritual warfare is not a one-size-fits-all kind of job. The enemy is crafty. He will go for your weak spots, and he's not going to play fair. See, he knows if your struggle is, is with having a few too many drinks or getting involved with the office gossip or with lust and relationships, and he's going to target that. He knows when you, you look to your own self-righteousness to bolster your self-esteem or when you're looking down and judging other people, and he'll target that too. 
However, the good news is that we have the Lord on our side. We see that God offers versatile and individual protection from the comforting feathers of a mother bird's wings in verse four to the strength and rigidity of a shield and rampart. Spiritual warfare is not a one size fits all job, but we have a God that can protect us in all of the different ways that we need it and one who knows what that looks like. And we can look back now at the psalmist declaration in verses one to two and feel assurance. He is the most high, the almighty, the Lord and our God. He is more powerful than the enemy's schemes. And as verse three says, surely he will save you. Now, as we continue on, we see more of this miraculous protection. Verse 11, you know, begins to use all of this, the spiritual language suddenly, you know, we're no longer talking about arrows and pestilences, but now we've got angels involved. And, you know, now we're getting all the nitty gritty details of how God will save us. So verse 11 says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. So we see this miraculous employment of angels coming into it, right? I guess this is what my dad is banging on about when he calls this a kick-ass Sam, right? It's not just us fighting our battles here on earth, but actually we've got the most high God and all of his angels fighting for us. And they're gonna guard us in all of our ways. So after the Sam has told us who's fighting for us, you know, they go on to tell us actually who we're fighting against. In verse 13, it talks about the great lion and the serpent. Now, this language is unequivocally referencing the enemy. You know, classically, like the lion is the strongest of all animals and the serpent is the subtlest. And, and interestingly enough, in the book of Revelation, Satan is referred to twice as the ancient serpent. And in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, it talks about the devil prowling around like a roaring lion. So now, while the beginning part of this psalm can be taken to apply to our, our physical lives as well, we know now that the psalmist really is referencing spiritual warfare because there are many dangerous and scary and real things that could happen to us here on earth. But there is an even greater danger, the danger that our souls might be captured by Satan. And it's not a nice thought, it's a scary thought for a Sunday morning that, you know, even though we may face earthly enemies and challenges here on this life that affect our, our physical health and our physical well-being, you know, but the Bible actually says that it's a far scarier thing to face spiritual attacks that actually might affect our spiritual health and well-being. See, the trials of verses 3 to 10 are temporary and earthly. The trials of verses 11 to 13 are spiritual and eternal. And it is these spiritual assaults that Psalm 91 tells us we need the, need the most protection from. And only the Most High God can be our refuge against such attacks. Now, perhaps one of the most important examples we see of spiritual warfare is, of course, in the life of Jesus. Particularly when Jesus was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4. And what does Satan do to try and get Jesus to bow down and to serve Satan instead of God? Well, after 40 days of fasting in Jesus's hunger, in his weakness, Satan begins to quote this very Psalm back to Jesus to try and get him to test God and to desert God. And it's, and it's these verses, verses 11 and 12, 
that are the only parts of scripture that we see Satan actually um, speaking. So Satan is so slippery, right? He's so crafty, he will even use scripture against us. And I think what's really important here to note is that Satan is misapplying this scripture. He's not using it as it was intended. Because in Matthew chapter four, verse six, we see Satan tell Jesus to throw himself off a cliff and then he uses these verses to justify the fact that, that God will save Jesus. However, this is just not the meaning of this psalm. The psalm does not promise complete safety in this life. It does not promise us freedom from all trouble. But it does promise us that God will be with us and comfort us in trouble. That he will never leave us. And of course, Jesus does not let Satan misapply the scripture to him. He responds back with scripture saying, it is also written, do not let put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus knew that true trust in the Lord isn't asking him to prove himself, but actually to simply rest in his care. And, and this Psalm and this example of Jesus are actually, they give us great insight into one of our most powerful weapons against the enemy which is the weapon of truth. You know, the enemy fires arrows of lies at us and he, he wants to condemn us and to make us feel fear and to feel doubtful. But what is our protection? Uh, it's the word of God, the true word of God. And Martin Lloyd-Jones has this very helpful idea when it comes to spiritual warfare and the battle in the mind. He says that when times are tough, we have to use self-talk. And this means not just listening to ourselves, you know, letting our, our feelings and our emotions dictate how we feel, I like letting ourselves talk, but actually talking to ourselves, preaching back biblical truths, biblical ideas back to ourselves. And we can use Psalm 91 as a way to facilitate our self-talk because the enemy makes us doubt the word of God. He makes us doubt our identity in Christ. In preparing for this talk, you know, I had all these sudden thoughts in the back of my mind saying, you're not good enough to do this. And I had to turn back to Psalm 91 and say, no, Alana, the Lord is my refuge, not what other people think about me. We can use these truths that we find in the Bible and just throw them back in the face of the enemy, just like Jesus did. Okay, well, that is all very well and good, but how? can we know that Jesus will care for us and be our refuge against the devil's schemes? Because we read in verse 13 about the great lion and the serpent, but what are we told about them? Well, we're told that we will trample them. And I think the devil was scared of this psalm because he knew the prophecy that comes in Genesis chapter three at the very beginning of the Bible that comes as a part of God's curse upon the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And Genesis chapter three, uh, verse 15, God says to the serpent, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The devil knew that a day was coming when he would be crushed, trampled on, beaten. But that, that day would come at a great cost. You know, you will strike his heel. On the day that Satan would be crushed, the victorious one would have his heel struck by the serpent. You know, and this is referencing the cross and the pain and agony of it. Because there was a day when God's perfect son, Jesus, 
the only one who never sinned, never succumbed to the devil's temptation, was struck. He faced the fowler snares, the traps, the pestilences, the terrors of the night, the flying arrows and the plagues. You know, he faced the, the lion and the cobra, the great lion and the serpent. And for one moment in all of eternity, he didn't know the protection of God. He was taken out. But in a great and divine mystery, this moment of defeat was actually a moment of victory. Colossians chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, tells us that he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We can no longer be condemned by the evil one. Christ has died for our sins and trampled the great lion and the serpent. The devil was disarmed and defeated. Jesus won the battle. He can be our spiritual and eternal refuge against the world, against the flesh, against the the devil and the powers of hell and death. We are in a spiritual battlefield, yes, but that battle has already been won for us. And and similarly, in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 37, we read that even when faced with all of these things, you know, it's trouble, hardships, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, we will not be separated from the love of Christ. Even with all of that stuff, it says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The battle has been won. And though we still face hardships, we are more than conquerors. Why? Because of the love of Christ shown to us in his death. And and this is how the most high God will be my refuge. This is how I know I'll be protected in this life and into the next. But it doesn't even finish here. Now, as we finally move into the last paragraph, the narrative changes and we actually hear from the Lord himself. We have a pledge from God, a promise. Now he's talking about us. Let's reread verses 14 to 16. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, this is kick ass in my opinion, right? (laughs) We get eight promises from here from the Lord. Rescue, security, answered prayer, companionship in need, deliverance, vindication, personal fulfillment, and enjoyment of salvation. Okay, there was lots of big words in that. But we get these like eight kick-ass promises from the Lord himself. And they are awesome promises to have. And they really cover everything. Sorry, I'll put them up there. There you go. (laughs) You know, notice how it starts with our, our rescue, our initial need for God, and then it works all the way through to our salvation. But how can we trust in these promises? How do we know that that God is going to follow through with his word? Well, we can trust in these promises because of Jesus and how he fulfills each one of them. You see, Jesus is the total fulfillment of this psalm. This is the ultimate pledge of God, not just his words, but sending his son. God promises rescue here. Who's our rescuer? Jesus. God promises the enjoyment of salvation here. Who died and rose again? defeating death so that we 
as sinners might have salvation? Jesus. Jesus is the true fulfillment of this psalm. In Jesus, we can access a perfect world, the new heavens and the new earth, where there won't be any more attacks from the enemy because he has been defeated by our God. So while we still may face trials and tribulations here in this life, we can have hope in the promise of a world to come with no pain or suffering. He will protect us on the pilgrimage from this life into the next. The psalm doesn't promise us perfect health, financial stability, or protection from our enemies at all times. But it does show us that if we dwell in God, if we make God our bottom line, then we know some truths that will never change. That God doesn't want to hurt us. That when we run to him, to embrace him, he's going to welcome us with open arms, not turn away from us or slap us in the face. And in this, we find true stability and protection, an eternal protection. And this is the true gift. Let's pray now, and I'll invite the, the band back up. Lord, thank you for your gift that is your everlasting stability, protection, and salvation. Help us to respond to this psalm in light of what you had done for us in sending your son Jesus to save us. Lord, help us to stop turning to other earthly refuges, but to make you our refuge. In your name, Lord. Amen. Amen.